everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On today's episode, I welcome in Nick Courtright, who is the founder and CEO of Atmosphere Press, a hybrid publishing company that puts the author experience first. And that's where we spend a lot of time in this episode, first on Nick's journey and how he got to start Atmosphere Press, and then what a lot of authors or soon-to-be authors should be considering as they're looking at publishing their books. So I hope you all enjoyed this conversation. And without further ado, please welcome in Nick Courtright. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for the conversation. As someone that's published a couple of children's books, I love talking with people that are around publishing that know how to write probably way better than I do, especially with your background in academia and, uh, and just having these conversations because I think writing is such a unique form of expressing ourselves. And uh, so it's always fun to have someone like yourself on. So I appreciate you jumping in here and, uh, and chatting a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be fun. There's definitely plenty to talk about. Yeah. Well, I wanted to start off with, because as I mentioned just a minute ago, right, you're in academia, you're a professor, kind of going down that path. What was the genesis? I'm always intrigued when folks start their own business. Like, what's the genesis here of uh, Atmosphere? Why did it need to be started? Like, was there a problem that you saw with yourself? Was it something you with students? I'm just kind of curious where that began. Yeah, it was a really crazy thing. So I was, you know, teaching college literature, creative writing, grading, heaps of, you know, freshman composition papers yeah. that I'm sure they're now much uh, more uh, fluent and educated now that they're all being written using chat GPT, I'm sure. But uh, I was just living the college prof life, you know, but I'd had a couple books of mine published by a small press uh, and I just knew lots of people in the literary world who were unhappy with the traditional publishing experience. They were out there trying to, you know, getting rejected over and over again. They were talented writers. Their works were kind of dying on the vine. And then if they even were lucky enough to get a publishing deal, a lot of times they they weren't heard. Uh, they didn't get the cover design that they wanted. They didn't get the editorial feedback that they were looking for. They were giving away their rights, their royalties. It was just really the historically the author-publisher relationship has been really asymmetrical with the publisher holding all the cards and the author just sort of having to grovel at their feet. Uh, so when I thought about wanting to do something differently, when the first Atmosphere book came out, and I started thinking about like, what are going to be the, the sort of foundational principles of this? I just looked at all of the terrible things that my friends had gone through, the, the problems that I'd seen in the industry, and just said, okay, let's just not do any of that. Let's build this around actually responding to authors, to listening to authors, to taking into account their feedback, to letting them keep the rights to their work. And it was all really sort of strangely obvious, you know, but I think that that's, that's kind of how it works a lot of times with an innovation, right? Is yeah. that it, it seems just to make sense to, to do things the right way or to do things in a way that uh, I think is going to help people. And once I sort of committed to that, I, uh, you know, slowly but surely there were some events that I can go into further that sort of led to me leaving academia altogether. 
Well, you do bring up a good point because I think we see this with a lot of industries, but definitely publishing because it seemed like right there's a few big publishers and they hold the cards and you have to be t- typically a big name. But to your point, if you're not a big name, it seems like you almost can't even get a seat at the table. And if you do, you it's probably scraps that you're you're pulling from, right? Yeah, definitely. Because there are, you know, like the big four New York publishers. And that's sort of what everybody's dream is, is that like, oh, they're going to get an agent, they're going to get an offer, they're going to get an advance for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that world is still possible for the smallest fraction of humans imaginable, (laughs) right? You know, and a lot of times, you know, you're going to have a leg up in that if you're already some huge social media personality, right? Or you've already been out there, you've got a, you know, a ton of followers already, you're already famous, and then the book is just sort of follows after that. Um, Whereas a lot of times, you know, if somebody wants to write a book, you know, they're just sort of left aimless, right? They uh, try to get something out there, they try to self-publish, they try to go to small press publishing, which there are a lot of great people in small press publishing, but a lot of times the resources are really light. A lot of like one person, you know, presses and stuff like that, um, where it can just be kind of, you know, dicey in terms of author outcomes. Well, so you wanted to kind of create this whole new paradigm shift in the publishing industry. Were there some sort of, I guess, I don't know the best way to say it, but like thing, I mean, you didn't want to just publish any books. So there were, mm-hmm. were there certain things that you're looking for or, or we're looking for? Maybe that's changed even over the last eight years or so, but are there are certain things you're looking for from specific authors or specific books that fit into what you're working with as an organization? Yeah, I think our strongest point really is in literary work. You know, if somebody is, you know, a a poet, they're writing a memoir, they're writing a sci-fi novel, like that's going to be a little bit more up our alley than, you know, like business self-help, you know, for example. Uh, But really one of the big things is that because traditional publishing was so exclusionary, it was just like, like literally like one out of every like 100,000, you know, kinds of uh, you know, writers were, you know, winning that lottery. It was just a, a world full of rejection. That one of the things that we started from the beginning is that we didn't want to be too snobby, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted to be more open-minded. Like just because somebody, you know, doesn't think that, you know, Twilight's a good book doesn't mean that it, you know, doesn't have an audience because obviously it did have an audience, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that's a lot of times how it works. So we, when we were choosing who, what books we wanted to work with, a lot of times it was more thinking like, what type of people do we want to work with? Because since we have an editorial process, like even if the book is rough around the edges, a lot of times we can work with the author, we can help them. We've got a really great editorial staff to, you know, sort of give them an education, help them through a revision process to improve a work of literature, but if the person is not somebody who's going to be a good collaborator, that was ultimately something that we tried to, you know, sniff out a little bit more fully than whether the book was, you know, ready to hit the shelves the minute we first saw it. Mm. And I want to dive in that a little bit deeper. If we can jump back just a bit, because I'm kind of curious, like, so you're a professor, you have this idea, I want to start this business. Like, did you, I'm assuming you didn't leave being a professor right away. So like, how did you, you know, high jump that, that big, uh, obstacle there, uh, to get started. 
Yeah, it took a long time, actually. And one thing I think is funny is, you know, how many times, and I'm sure this is something that a lot of people relate to, is like how many times you sort of need to be, something needs to be put directly in front of your face before you see it, right? So the first Atmosphere book came out in 2015. That was just because I was working with a writer. I was doing a little bit of writing coaching on the side in addition to teaching. And this guy was like, hey, could you help me publish this book? Uh, he didn't want to go get rejected for nine years. So I was just like, I've got some experience in small press publishing. We'll make a brand for your book and put your book out. His book was about the universe. I needed a title. Atmosphere popped into my head, <laughs> you know, and it was really kind of strangely miraculous. That was 2015. Then I put out a few books here and there. I never really thought I was starting a business. It was just some little side thing. And then the real kind of moment, I think, is was summer 2018 when I was supposed to be teaching a couple summer classes and they ended up falling through, like they didn't hit enrollment. And I was sitting there at the beginning of summer, which is often sort of a fallow period in academia, financially looking at my primary income source was gone. So it was one of those classic stories of like the best thing that ever happened to me was when I got laid off right. or when I lost my job because it forced me to have to do something. And that's exactly what happened. Summer 18, I was like, oh no, I need to like figure something out. I guess I'll see if there's any legs to this atmosphere side gig I have. And that's when I started for the first time actually trying to see if there were authors out there rather than just waiting for people to sort of wander in, right? Uh, and there were authors out there. There were a bunch of people who, you know, were looking for exactly what we had. So that was a, a sort of a big moment. I didn't finally leave academia until 2020. I, that's when I, you know, you know, sort of finally cut the cord on that. And, and I'm, I'm glad it's, it's interesting and always sort of scary when you're making some giant life change going from something that you were pursuing for a really long time. But the way I see it is, you know, if you feel that tug towards something new, you know, you kind of got to follow it, yeah. right. And take the plunge. Cause otherwise you're just always going to wonder and, you know, potentially have regret or like always be like, oh, what if I had had the guts to take this big risk, yeah. right? I, I'd sort of take the risk, you know, and if it doesn't work, oh, well, at least you like did it, right? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how it, it ended up, you know, becoming this bigger thing where now as of, you know, late 2023, we just published our thousandth book. Wow. Okay. Nice. Congrats on that. Thank you. So had you always wanted to like start a business? Had that been something in your kind of mind earlier in life? Or did this just pop up out of nowhere? You're like, oh, okay, maybe I should do something here. It really just kind of popped up, you know, because my educational background is, you know, like all writing, like my undergrad was in writing, then I got an MFA in poetry, right? Who does that and expects to be like a business person, right? You know, you're basically signing yourself up for, you know, an artful life of poverty, right? So uh, it was a definitely a, a different unexpected thing. And then I went and got a PhD in literary criticism, you know, so it was very much a 
completely different line of work. I was expecting to be a professor teaching classes. That was my goal. So when I was little, you know, entrepreneurship was never, you know, in the water. You know, I came from, you know, government employees and steel workers and coal miners and farmers, you know. So I guess in the if you go back to the farming era, you know, there's a little bit of entrepreneurship there. But otherwise, yeah, it was not really something that was expected. And it's been a really awesome education, you know, just having to try to kind of in a sense, like build the road as I've been driving on it, learning how to be, you know, a, a business person. Yeah. Well, I think though you touched on something that's really important is you have this background. Now you didn't know where it was going to lead, but you have this background that obviously is serving you very well, working with authors, editing, all of these types of things that I'm none the wiser on, right? I, I, I didn't have a, you know, English background or in terms of writing or anything like that. So you could learn business. Anyone can learn business if they have the, you know, the willingness to do it. And I think that's encouragement for a lot of folks that have a skill in one area. That's not always your only path. There are other avenues to leverage that skill in another area, you know? So I think that's a great point of like, yeah, you had this stuff where you didn't think would do anything more than maybe be in academia, but actually it serves you very well in what you're doing today. Right. Yeah. And I think there there is a lot to be taken away from that because I remember like being in academia at times was very frustrating. It's It can be an incredibly frustrating industry, hard to, you know, get recognized, hard to get a leg up or get permanent work or get health insurance, <laughs> right? Like it can be, it can be a tough place to be. And I always used to say like, oh, what what else would I even do? What else would I even do? You know, and it's like, well, obviously I eventually figured something out, but it's almost, it needed to sort of show up and assert itself. It wasn't something that I necessarily found on my own. And it's always kind of interesting, you know, the different kinds of experiences that people have. Like when I was younger at one point, I was doing door-to-door -door sales for AT&T. Like I was going and knocking on people's doors and trying to get them to sign up for you know, universe cable television. And now I look back on that and think like that, you know, hideous job where I was like sweating in like a hundred degree Texas, you know, trying to sell cable, that sort of like sales ability that I learned, you know, just going in, knocking on doors, making it happen. I never would have thought that that was going to be a key component to some later venture, but ultimately it did end up becoming something. So I think that there are interesting ways to mix the experiences of one's life together and sort of see what comes out on the other side. Uh, and that goes for pretty much anybody in any field. Yeah. What, what was the hardest part of starting the business? I think one of the toughest things beyond just my, you know, general ignorance in the early days, I think one of the the best things about the ignorance was that I was able to just build things in a way that made sense to me, mm -hmm. you know, rather than thinking, oh, I need to go get venture capital funding now, or I need to like set up this particular type of business structure. Like I didn't know any of that stuff. Right. And I think that was a tremendous benefit because it just led me to think like, how do I help authors? And with that sort of single-minded focus, it, it made it a lot easier to like build something more sustainable. Um, but in terms of like what was hard, 
I got to say, you know, like hiring people, like delegating, like all of that stuff was really difficult in the early going, you know, like I having to learn how to trust other people, I see as being something that's really difficult for a lot of people in the beginning stages of starting a business because they, they don't trust other people to do it as good as they would do it and all of that. And the training people always takes a lot of time. You know, there's always a huge upfront investment and, you know, time and energy, you know, but ultimately I just had to rip that bandaid off. And basically I've been ripping that bandaid off for years now, like every single thing that somebody else that when it gets to a point where I'm sort of at the end of my ability to do it, somebody else has got to be trained. Right. Uh, so that was a, a really tricky part. How did you know, like, like, was there a certain dollar amount you had to have in the bank before you felt comfortable employing someone else? Or like, how did you think about that first hire? This has come up a lot in the podcast, like mm. hire four and five and six. Sure. Like those are, those are difficult, but that first hire is really difficult. Cause it's like, are we making enough money for me to support this person? Yeah, it was definitely really scary. And like in the beginning, it was pretty much, you know, it was just all contractors, which helped, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it was basically like, you know, you're going to get paid if there are projects to pay you, right? You know, so there was a little bit of that in there. And I just really from the beginning, you know, so here we are, we're like eight years in, like Atmosphere has never taken a cent of investment capital, like we've never taken any loans. We've never borrowed from the bank. We've never had an investor, right? So with all that in mind, it just always had to be profitable. We always had to get just slightly more from a project than we were paying out on it. So with that sort of like soundness, I guess, to the finances, it made it a little bit easier, but yeah, it's definitely, you know, can be can be pretty scary at times for sure. And I remember like going and hiring that first person to like help me edit because I just couldn't read all the books myself, right? That was the part that took a lot of time and you know, it, it was it was scary for sure. What's been the most successful book you guys have published? I I'd say probably our our top selling author ever is Dennis Matthew. He's actually a children's book author. Okay. Uh, he's really awesome. Uh, he's written a number of children's books, and they just keep selling. Right? He goes out there. He does a lot of, uh, you know, readings at elementary schools. Like goes around from school district to school district, and you know they bring him in and he reads from the work and he has a background in education as well. Uh, so that's definitely, you know, sort of a, a good success story that, that we're really proud of. And because of our model and how it works, like with Dennis, like he's reaping all the benefits, right? We don't, we're not a traditional press that's taking a huge royalty share. So when Dennis Matthew goes out there and he sells a thousand books, he's the one who's, you know, reaping the dividends of those thousand books sold, not us. And that's what I was wondering, what the structure is like, how, how is it different than your traditional publisher that is, you know, maybe paying in advance, sometimes not definitely taking royalties, just kind of curious how you guys structure it. Yeah, yeah. So the way that our model works is that we have authors keep all of their rights to their work and all of their royalties to their work. And they're obviously very invested with autonomy in the, in the book itself. 
I, in terms of the funding aspect, the author funds the editorial labor, the cover design, the interior layout, the distribution, the publicity, all of that sort of stuff. So it's an author funded model. I, and we are still selective about who we work with because we need to keep good brand equity because that's good for all of our authors. We have a lot of people on our press who, you know, are affiliated with, you know, Dartmouth and Stanford and Harvard and MIT and all of these kinds of places or who have won uh, big prizes. I, so, but basically to work with our team of, you know, really, really well-qualified people, those people need to be paid. Right. So, uh, that's how the model works. Uh, and it tends to really work out and we have, uh, you know, really exceptional numbers of, you know, repeat authors, people who work with us, come back and work with us again, you know, referrals, they work with us and then they send other people that they know to work with us as well, because we just try to give a really high quality experience. I want to, I'm going to jump around a little bit here because I want to go back. So we're talking about like publishing the books getting published. Let's go all the way back to the beginning, that first page, the, the, the blank page that someone's staring at. What have you learned either with writing books, working with authors, maybe obviously in your academia career about getting people started writing? Because I feel this is a challenge, a lot of even just writing down and, and starting to map out the, the actual book or the idea they have. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you asked about that because I do always think it's really interesting because like in the business, it's like we encounter so many people who say, oh, I would love to write a book or, oh, I've got these great ideas or I'd love to, my life story is so fascinating or I've been floating this thought around forever. And then they just, but they, they haven't written the book, right? You know, they've got to do that part. Like there's no way to publish a book if you haven't written one, right? Uh, and I always think, you know, it really is just about just getting started, right? Uh, so some pieces of advice that I always give out there, like people will say like, oh, they have writer's block. This is something that I always used to talk about when I was teaching college, you know, when students would have trouble writing papers and it's still totally relevant when you're writing books, whether that be some, the great American novel or like a poetry collection. Writer's block is nothing more than a failure to type. That's it. You know, the piece of advice I always give people is that if you're going to have some rules of free writing, and I actually have some of these like on YouTube where it's like there's these sort of four rules of free writing that will help you generate content. And the the first one is always, uh, you know, like just get started, right? Like start typing, mm -hmm. right? And then the second one is have faith. Okay, so this isn't some sort of mystical have faith. It's just having faith that if you start creating content, something good is going to happen, right? A lot of times, if you start writing the first 10 words, the first 100 words, the first 1000 words you write might stink, right. <laughs> you know, and that's okay. That still happens to me. Like I'm my fourth book is about to come out. If I start writing something like today, there's a chance that what I start writing is going to be bad. Right. And that's totally fine. Like I love that because the longer you're writing something bad, the 
more sort of revelatory the good thing that comes of it's going to be so that second one's have faith the third is don't stop and if that's the same as the first one it's by design because that's how important you just have to keep typing keep writing like keep making content use voice to text right the transcription technology is excellent use ai to like help you generate ideas there's a million tools out there uh, and then the fourth one is my favorite piece of advice of all, and that's lower your standards. And people always think that that's a crazy, like, what do you mean lower my standards? How would that? And it's the thing is that when you're writing or doing any sort of creative enterprise, a lot of times people beat themselves up, right? They're like, oh, this isn't good enough. This is garbage. Like, I'm just going to throw in the towel. The thing is, you just got to, when you're generating content, lower those standards keep them really low it doesn't matter if you have a typo in every word it doesn't matter if your character is unlikable whatever like just keep creating content you can raise the standards when you're editing but if you have that person in there that's saying high standards when you're generating content you're just gonna quit and that's obviously you know in violation of rules one and three. right, right so, exactly you know, you gotta gotta crank it out there. So hopefully that's that's some some helpful advice. I always find that to be a good a good kick in the pants. Just remembering those four. Well, and you made a good point about the the editing. This is something I messed up a lot earlier when I when I started writing like blogs and stuff many years ago. Was I would try to edit as I'm writing, and then it it took a while to realize no, let's just write. It doesn't matter what it is. Then let's go back and edit later at some point in the future an hour later a day later a month later no matter when it is but at some point in the future and that's really served me well is that is that a, a coaching opportunity there for folks as well to... yeah absolutely like get the editor one of the other pieces of advice i would always say like the writer and the editor are two different people mm -hmm. when the writer is writing get the editor out of there yeah. right like you got to kick the editor out right? Because that person is just going to be, you know, slogging. It's like trying to drive a car with like, you know, with the wheels stuck in the mud, yeah. right? Uh, so yeah, get them out of there. You know, I can say like my uh, first book, I actually uh, wrote it all in one month. I wrote this like 30,000 word, uh, you know, chunk of text in one month. I had this like discipline, daily practice. I was being kind of obsessive about it. But one of my rules was that I wasn't allowed to edit a single word until I hit 30,000 words. Mm -hmm. Only then was I allowed to even go back and read what I had written before. And I think that that helps because it just, you know, prevents you from getting in your own way. What about creating, um, and this is something I had Chandler Bolt on who does like self-publishing school and talked about like creating this outline prior. Cause I, I think a lot of folks also get stuck on chapter one, word one, and like they're trying to write the book like that. Is there any way you found helpful to actually craft the book? If it's whether it's creating outline or starting bullet points or anything at all that would help folks again, get started putting some things down on paper. Yeah, I mean, there are different different strokes for different folks, right? Like some writers, they call them like plotters or planners, and other people, they call them pantsers sometimes. 
uh, where it's like the plotter, the planner, they're like creating all this architecture. They're like, they already know what's going to happen in chapter 27 before they've written chapter one, right? And they like plan out the whole thing. I think that's a, a great model for a lot of people, you know, to get some like top level, you know, architecture on like what the general arc of things is. Some of the benefits of that is it'll prevent you from writing like a 2000 word book that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, just making some stuff uh, down, you know, just making sure that you're hitting like the basic aspects of narrative. If you're talking about a novel or even a work of nonfiction, like what is the story being told, regardless of whether you're writing, you know, a poem or a memoir or whatever, like there's always a story being told and having some idea of, you know, that sort of grand arc can be helpful. On the other side, there are the pantsers, right? Where they're flying by the seat of their pants, right? They sit down every day, they write stuff. They're just as surprised as anybody else to find out what their character does, right? And personally, like the type of writer I am, I'm more of a pantser, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, a lot of times when I'm writing, like I sit down, I'm just, I don't know what I've got until I got it. Yeah. Right. And then after this whole thing has been creative, I go back and I'm like, oh, okay. And then I can like see what threads to accentuate, what parts to get rid of. Um, so I think really like, it's just a matter of starting to create content, see what works for you, you know, but definitely, you know, don't, don't judge on yourself too hard if you have to take some detours. Yeah. And you talked about that uh, time constraint you put on your first book. Is there anything you've learned or at least helpful in terms of getting people to sit down for, does, I guess, does the period of time, 15 minutes, an hour, three hours, like every day, five times a week, like, is there certain things that are consistent across a lot of authors that they do? Or is it just so all over the place? Whatever it's works. it's so all over the place you know you have your like a thousand words before a cup of coffee people and then you have their like only when i've had three beers people right. and then there's like you know then there are the people who take 10 years to write a book there are the people who crank it out in nanorimo like it's a novel they write in a month right um so i think there are a, a lot of different you know, models that people use. Um, I could say like right now, like the one that I have is relatively modest. It's just make sure to write at least one, you know, complete piece, you know, a month, right? That was my sort of resolution this year. Um, and the thing is, is that I always end up writing more than one, you know, but because I have that kind of basement on what I am, you know, the amount of laziness I afford myself, right. I, I think, you know, that helps. But I think, you know, it's going to be different models, you know, I think are going to be going to be helpful to people. Some people, uh, it's just like with, you know, exercise or diet or a meditative routine or something like that. You've just got to set yourself some parameters and then have the resolution to stick to whatever guidelines you do set for yourself. Right. Yeah, it, just, it comes down to commitment at the end of the day, like, as you mentioned, the people that don't ever write the book, it's that for whatever reason, and there's fears and anxieties. And I mean, I had all that with my first one that took, gosh, so many years to finish. Um, but it's one of those things, like if you make the commitment that I'm doing this, again, whether it's a month or I'm going to be done with it in six months or whatever it is, you make the point to find time. It's amazing how we find time for the things that are really important to us that we want to commit to, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, yeah, whenever I was like, oh, I didn't have enough time. It's like, well, you did. You just didn't choose to use it on this particular thing. And yeah. I think, I mean, that's that's fine. But if you want to devote yourself to a creative enterprise, and I think like, you know, writing tends to be just incredibly fulfilling for people, you know, people who take the time to write something, it is medicinal for them, whether they're, you know, writing like essays about their view on they, they look out at a tree and they're like, I want to talk about trees, right? Or if they're like, I need to tell my story, or I need to give like advice to others, or I want to set something in some, you know, far away space environment, you know, with monsters, you know, like, there's something really magical about the act of creation mm -hmm. uh and i think it's i think it's important to devote time to it uh whether it's on a uh, rugged discipline uh or is rather lax i think it's something that pretty much anyone's life is going to be enhanced by doing yeah. and whether you even end up publishing it and putting it out in the world like even just doing that i think the act of getting away from what we would call real life all these stressors that we have and, you know, that could be a meditative process too. you know, anything like that. But I, I do agree with you because even journaling your thoughts and, and feelings and those type of things are just so important because once you get it on paper, it's amazing how it opens up and creates this new world that was just living up in your head. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And that's one thing that we really like emphasize at Atmosphere also is like we sort of think of ourselves in some ways as this like mentor to help authors take the next step with their work right like we're not just like oh we're gonna slap it out there on amazon and like that's it it is like writing tends to be this solitary endeavor and at a certain point it you get a tremendous benefit from doing it with someone else it's like going and like being a runner and you go run all the time by yourself and then you go run as part of like a 10k or something like that there's just something like marvelous about like doing it with others even though it's a fundamentally like solitary act um you know and just collaborating with you know a cover designer to like see you know a vision you know and see like a professional uh what a professional would do you know with the world that you've created and how your language is going to turn into a visual artifact and you know, working with editors to be like, oh, did I really nail that ending, right? Is this character's, you know, sort of awakening a realization or is the story of my life being told in a way that's going to be wonderful for my grandchildren to read in posterity, right? Um, we really try to, you know, help authors get as much meaning and value out of the publishing experience rather than just, you know, chucking the book out there. Well, and that's maybe a good place where we can end on today is the the launch process. Mm -hmm. When should folks think about the book launch process as they're finishing up their writing? Is there a time, you know, six months before launch, a year before launch, two months? Is like, is there a certain time that you guys recommend to actually start thinking about the launch process and building toward launching the book? Yeah. So historically, you know, we would sort of try to encourage authors not to get too worked up about the launch during the production process, right? When we're going through developmental editorial meetings and like proofreading and like getting content for the cover design, like we didn't want them to be fretting too much about whether they should charge $17.99 or $18.99 on Amazon. That's like not going to help 
<laughs> you know, you come up with, you know, something that actually like satisfies you. But I do think it's important to think about, you know, before the book is done. And that's sort of what we've started moving more towards is, you know, like, let's think about, you know, what is a marketing plan? Like, how are you going to prepare yourself emotionally? Like some authors, you know, they want their book to sell a lot of copies and they want to get out there and they want to go on book tours. Other authors are like, I'm going to be hiding in a room and I'm going to turn the lights out. <laughs> and like, that's totally fine. You know, like we try to, you know, cater to, you know, the introvert and the extrovert, you know, and the people who want to make a big mark for themselves and the people who are really just doing this, you know, for their own personal satisfaction or their families. Um, and regardless of either of those things, we want them to start like thinking that over pretty soon after they're under contract with us. Uh, and we give them a lot of stuff to think about, like whether you want to start a newsletter, whether you want to, you know, how you want to contact the people in your personal network, you know, like, do you want to do that at all? Do you want to do readings? You know, what types of goals do you have? Um, but I think really from our perspective, it just as much just comes down to like us helping educate them as to their options and, you know, providing, you know, some mentorship for them. Uh, and a partner through that journey. Yeah. Well, cause I feel like that's where you write, you take all this time to write this book and put it together and then the launch can fall flat if you don't have the momentum going into it and even months after it. I think that's where a lot of folks, you know, don't find the quote unquote success maybe of, of uh, sales that they wanted. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's, it's, it's tricky because a lot of times it, it's interesting because the Venn diagram overlap between like writer and what you could call author, you know, mm -hmm. is not as much of an overlap as you'd think. Because being an author means like your book is out there, like you're out in the world, like you have a face, you've made a statement, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you're able to reap all the benefits of that. Like a lot of times in today's world, it's like you're going to be reaping benefits from having a book out there, not from book sales, but from what having a book next to your name does for you, right. you know, opportunities it opens up, you know, like the speaking abilities, reading uh, publicly abilities, getting invited to things like enhancing your resume. It's like, you don't necessarily have to sell a bajillion copies to get those kinds of benefits out, out of it. And sometimes writers who are just spending many dozens of hours like living in a world of their own imagination, you know, writing a book, they aren't necessarily the type of people who are going to want to do that other stuff, yeah. you know? So we try to, you know, help authors navigate that, figure out what they really want to do and just try to help them achieve satisfaction on the terms that they define. Okay. Is there anything else maybe on your mind or things that have come up recently you'd share with everyone listening in things that you know, you've been thinking about in terms of whether it's writing process or, or publishing or something totally off the wall uh, that would be helpful for them? Yeah, yeah. So I think one thing that we, you know, at Atmosphere really, really focused on a lot is trying to give authors or writers or people who are thinking of writing just a boatload of free resources um, because, you know, we just want to be a service to the creative community, right? Like that's sort of 
what I think is going to be helpful in a world like going forward is trying to help people like find some sense of fulfillment. Uh, so on our website, for example, uh, we have a, actually a publishing potential quiz on there uh, where you can just take this quiz. It's 10 questions. It talks about, you know, like how, uh, you know, far along are you in a creative project? How would you feel about working with others? Do you have a vision for a cover design or for publicity? And based on your answers, we give you a ton of feedback and actionable advice on how to take next steps. So if you're early on in your journey, that's when we would send you things about like how to generate content and send you resources that are really going to be a service to you in terms of like helping you take the next step in your own creative journey. Uh, if you're somebody who has, you know, written a project and you're ready to go, we're going to help, you know, give you more advice on like, okay, these are your publishing options. You can self-publish, you can pursue traditional publishing. If you'd be interested in working with Atmosphere, here are the steps to take there so that we can like, you know, you can send uh, us your work for consideration. And one thing that we give to everybody who is, who has written a manuscript is we give a free consultation to all of those people. Uh, just to, you know, talk through it with them, talk through their work, you know, their potential goals. You know, if those people end up signing on and working with us and we have a really re rewarding like six month or year long or 10 year long relationship, that's great. If the conversation ends up leading them to be like, you know what, I'm really going to go like try to get Penguin Random House, then by all means, like that's what we want for you. So um, we're real big on, uh, you know, just wanting people to you know find satisfaction in, the, in their creative endeavors one way or another yeah yeah that's great and the website it's atmosphereauthors.com yeah and atmosphereauthors.com okay. is actually going to be like the the best portal okay. to go through uh yeah because if you go to atmosphereauthors.com there's tons of stuff on there a blog the ability to sign up for a consultation do a quiz okay. you know and yeah, we're we're always sending out stuff. We got free book giveaways on there. It's it's pretty awesome. We really try to, you know, just give a bunch of stuff away. You know, it's it's pretty fun doing that. Yeah. Well, it's kind of cool. Again, what we start off the conversation with, you kind of had this this thing you saw, you wanted to do it totally different, and now here you are, eight plus years later, and doing it different and helping a lot of folks. That's a, I mean, that's pretty cool. So, congrats again on that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Nick, this is a lot of fun. We covered a lot of good ground and, and I know a lot of this is going to be helpful for folks that are trying to get off that blank page and uh, get started. So thank you very much for coming on. All right. Thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.